Thank you, Pastor Eddie, for inviting me to be here and um, for that funny introduction. I loved it. It was really good. <laughs> no, no apology. Um, I'm family, and so it's good to be here with all the leaders. Um, love uh, you guys so much. Love Pastor Eddie and Mary. They're great. Give them a hand. Aren't they phenomenal? <laughs> Pastor Jermaine and Blythe, they're great. Give them a hand, too. Really good. And I've got so many friends here, uh, like the Sherrods and the Morenos and so many people here, so it's good to see all your faces. Uh, this morning, I'm, I um, got a message on my heart for you. It's, not, it, it's a message that I'm still living out, right? So I haven't mastered this, but I'm, I'm learning it. It's called All Things. All Things. And I'll begin with where this comes from. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And this is the New American Standard Bible. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are our helper. May we be responsive to the help you are. Amen. How many of you have heard this passage before? Yeah. How many of you have prayed or said this passage before? So last October was a significant moment because for all the years that I have recited this passage uh, that Paul was inspired to pen, I realized that the words that come out of my mouth are all things, but the motivation that comes out of my heart is some things. I'm saying all things work together for good, but I don't really believe that all things work together for good. I really believe that some things work together for good, not all things. Now, anybody just in this moment going, huh, that's me too. Raise your hand. Okay, great. So I'm among family and friends. And, and, and this is a point of consternation for me. It's a point of tension. It, it is, I don't like it. Um, I don't like it. And, and Paul says, and we know. So the assumption is, this is what we know. And I realize you actually know something that I say, but don't really know personally. Right? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love him, that's the relational aspect. To those who are called according to his purpose, that's the missional. God's highly relational and highly missional. Right? And so um, I started to recognize that there are these things that I believe work together for good, all right? But those things don't really work together for good. And, and they're two different categories. So I celebrate these things, but I don't rejoice in God with those things, right? These things like you got a raise on your job. Oh, I see how these things are working together for good. <laughs> those things... You've been given a notice that uh, they're laying off people and you're in the group to go. How do, it doesn't make sense, as the worship team said earlier. It doesn't make sense. How can those things work together for good? These things, she said yes when I asked her to marry me. Those things, he's been dating me for 10 years and he has not proposed yet. These things, see, 
these things work together for good, but those things don't really work together for good. And so that's the, but we love you, Jesus, right? It just, God, where are you with those things, right? These things, I have a testimony. Let me tell you, those things, oh, God hasn't done much for me lately. And so that way of looking, that way of thinking, Paul is trying to get us beyond that. And I'll just say right now that it is impossible within ourselves to, to really view all things working together for good from, humanly speaking, it's impossible. It is only in the love of God through the Spirit that we can live in a place that says all things are working together for good. And that's what God wants to bring us into, to know the joy of his love toward us in these things and the, and the joy of his love toward us in those things. Imagine if there's no differentiation in your mind and heart between these things and those things as it's all good and it's all a measure of God's love and care for me. Now, do you feel the struggle in that? Well, yeah, but what about? There's an exception on your list, right? We, we have it. So for me, these things would be, uh, JC and Rose are good friends of ours, and um, we've known each other a long time, decades long. And um, we, we were all single together. And JC at one time was the small group leader for our group. In this particular moment, there must have been 25 of us. There was a young lady in that small group. Her name is Marianne. And, and just to tell you, my heart was smitten for her. She had no clue. But I felt like God was the one who motivated this love in my heart for her. And, and, and I was convinced that she was going to become my wife. Now, at that time in our church, it was normal for people to make public announcements about engagement, sometimes in the Sunday service, sometimes in the small group. And you heard it enough that you knew when it was coming, even at the start of the first few words. So I was sitting in this small group. There's 25 of us. People are sitting on chairs, sofas. Some people are sitting uh, on, the, on the floor like me, and my back is against the wall. And JC's about to lead the group. But he says, before I lead today, I have an announcement to make. Now, Marianne was sitting in a chair beside him. And as soon as he said he had an announcement to make, my mind went there. I was like, oh, no, this is the moment where he's about to announce his engagement. And Marianne was sitting, behind him, sitting beside him smiling. And I went, no. No, no, no. Now, I didn't say no out loud. It was just inside. I started slipping into the floor. I was just sinking. And I was like, God, how could you do such a thing to me? How could you let me be, be, be smitten by this woman and be convinced that it's your will? And now one of my best friends, oh, this is worst day of my life. <laughs> worst day of my life. And I just, I sat there holding technical grip. And I was like, I, I, I got to get out this room. I, this is too much. And JC just went on, I just want you to know that I am recently engaged. I know. And now I'm getting married to Rosa Johnson. I went, yay! Praise God! Hallelujah! Tears, I kid you not, tears are running down my face. 
and I was the loudest person in the room. And I'm like, wow, Don is really happy for you. Like, Don, you're so happy. You have no idea how happy I am. I can't even tell you in this moment the joy. These things, right? That's the will of God, these things. And then we, we ended up moving in the same complex bar, Glen, and hung out all the time. They gave us our first car. Or they gave us our second car. I wrecked his first car. And uh, <laughs> we go way back. Um, I wrecked it, but then paid for it. I bought it from him. The second one he just gave me. That's the love of God, is it not? Uh, so, so another moment. Now Mary and I are ready to buy our first home, and we apply for a loan. In the meeting with the loan officer, he had said, you know, when I bought my home, when I bought my home. And then he said, when we... And then he went back to I, and I was like, just me, I was just like, how did he go from I to we? There's somebody else. And I said, you said we? And then the meeting changed. You ever been in a meeting where it just changes? It's no longer about the documents and signing. And long story short, he gave his life to Christ. I walked out of that meeting. That is so, that is so God, and that house is so ours. God showed up and saved him in the meeting. And, and while we're like, what, this is a two-for. You actually see your loan officer commit his life to Jesus, and you're buying a house at the same time. He called us and said, so sorry, loan denied. Those things. God, we led him to you. He got born again. How many loan officers get born again in the middle of the meeting of the loan processing? God, where, where were you? Those things. You, you now get me? Point made? All right, we can move on now. How, how, do, you, how do you, I mean, what do you do with all this? All things, not some things, not these things, not those things, all things. Luke chapter 22, verses 28 through 30. And this is New King James Version. These are the words that Jesus is speaking, and he's saying, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow. He's speaking to his followers, the disciples. And he says, you are those who have continued with me in my trials. That's significant. There's a book that our team is reading, and it's phenomenal. And one of the points it makes that it's not our ministry, it's his ministry. It's the ministry of Jesus to the Father through the Holy Spirit for the sake of the church and the world. So it's not our ministry, it's his ministry. A lot of times we are exhausted, burnt out because we're engaged in our ministry instead of his ministry. Have you ever seen so much need and you try to address it all? And may have missed that Jesus wasn't addressing it all in that moment. Remember the man who was ill, who was at the pool of Bethsaida, and he wanted to get healed? There were so many people sick. Only one got healed that day. Jesus was not driven by the need of the people. He was inspired and moved by his ministry to the Father 
right? Through the Spirit for the sake of the church and the world. So he only did what he saw his father doing. If he didn't see his father healing everybody that day, then he didn't go beyond what the father was doing to be driven by the need that was before him. I think some of our anxiety and our stress is because we go beyond the ministry that is his to do our own. And when we're acting on our own apart from him, we're exhausted. So Jesus is saying, you've continued with me in my trials and you're going to sit at my table and you're going to sit on thrones that I have. So there's a sense of him wanting to share in his table. How many love being at the Lord's table, right? I want to sit at his table, sharing his table. And then he gives authority to sit on thrones. So there's authority that's delegated. But it's also that we get to share in what? His trials. So when we recognize that our trials may not be our trials, but are his trials, it's a different, the complexion of it changes. So it's sharing in his trials. It's sharing in his table. It's sharing in what's his. And this is what's important. So when you go beyond that, We're building here. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. So these are the verses that come after that. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Let's read that again slowly. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. This is the same Simon who Jesus called Peter. Indeed, Satan has asked for you. One version says, demanded permission. That he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. How many have heard that before? So let's kind of unpack this a little bit. Because this is where we start to move to all things. First of all, I want to say that I wouldn't want my name and Satan's name to be mentioned in the same breath. So when Jesus is saying, Simon, Simon, the devil has demanded permission or has asked for you to sit you as wheat. Well, I'm thinking these things, those things. Jesus, I've given up everything to follow you. So the next thing that I'm expecting Jesus to say is, but don't worry about it. I'm not going to let him. I I, want to do that again. Everyone say their name out loud. And now Jesus, pretend like Jesus said it is. Say your name. The devil has asked permission to sift you as wheat. Now in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, but no, God, right? I'm your boy. I'm your girl. Right? How could a loving God, how could a loving God, come on, that's in there. How could a loving God, which means if he would allow it, then he must not love us. So we get over into, right? How could a loving God, so he's, he's asked for permission. What? Per, well, permission, right? But you're not going to give him permission. And here it comes. But 
I've prayed for you. Pray for me. Don't pray for me. I don't need you. I don't need you to pray for me, Jesus. I just need you to tell him no. Why is prayer? Why does this matter require prayer? Prayer on my part, prayer on your part. There's no need to pray. You taught us how to pray. Our Father, right? Don't lead us into temptation. Don't deliver us from evil. So if you're going to deliver me from evil, how, see, that's the whole point. You actually have to experience evil in order to be delivered from it. I don't like this in the Bible. I'm ripping this page out. <laughs> See, because it's, it's real. If I'm Simon, I'm going, no, 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 no. I've already given him permission. <laughs> but he says this. He says, but when you return to me. See, we don't listen to all of it. We get stuck at, well, you don't let the devil out of my kids, my, my health, cancer, sickness, job. Da, da, da. It, it, shh. Calm down. When you return to me. I don't want to have to return to you. I don't want to go. Calm down. When you return to me. When you return to me. When you return to me, you will strengthen your brothers. And what is Jesus doing? He's inviting us into fellowship with him. This is how he has always been. I don't know, 17 years ago, we met in a, a big Baptist church. We were one of six congregations that met in it, and it had stained glass windows. Marcus, you remember that place? Um, and I remember looking at one stained glass window, and it had a picture of oxen. And there were a pair of oxen yoked together and, and with a, a rider to lead them. And then there was also an altar on which an oxen was being sacrificed. And it said, ready to serve or be sacrificed. And it always stayed with me, just that, that stained glass window. <clears throat> and, I, and I, you know, I've grown up in the time where a phrase has been popularized, and I think it's a good phrase, what would Jesus do? And I think we need to know what Jesus would do. We do. But knowing what he would do is not the same as knowing his ways. Um, I had a young man who was going through some marital challenges, and he called me, and he said, I need help. Like, I'm trying to figure out this marriage thing. And I said, there's only three things you have to do. He said, what? I said, yeah, there's just three things you have to do. Hold on, hold on. He went, said, I'm writing this down. So he ran away from the phone. He came back. He says, tell me what the three things are. Okay, number your page one to three. He started enabling. I am waiting because this is going to solve every marital issue I've ever had. I said, there's one thing I need to tell you before I tell you the three things you have to do. He said, what? They won't work. Like, man, why are you playing with me? I said, it doesn't matter what three things I tell you to do. You have to be something before you can do something. Because if you do something without being something, then what you're doing is not effective. Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, teacher, teacher, rabbi, we know you come from God because no one could do the things that you're doing unless God was with him. He said, you must be something new, born again. And your doing flows from your being, not the other way around. 
Moses didn't say to Jesus or to God the Father or the Holy Spirit, teach me your doings. He said, teach me your ways so that I might know you. And what I want is to know Jesus personally with not theoretical knowledge, but experiential knowledge. And you can't have experiential knowledge without the experience. And so the love, the eternal love of God, the Father, Son, God the Father loves the Son. God the Son loves the Father. Holy Spirit, there's this eternal love that was going on, which they weren't, but the God, Trinity, three in one, one in three, no need for humanity, not, not alone, not lonely. The love of God has been ongoing. God, the way he is, in his ways, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in his way, he is self-humbling. He is self-giving. He is self-sacrificial. He is other than focused. God the Father is constantly focused on the Son. The Son is constantly thinking on the other, the Father. They're all constantly thinking about the Spirit. They're never self-centered. They're always other-centered. And he has been this way for all eternity. And he is so self-sacrificial, so self-giving, so self uh, all of the things, you, words you can think of, that he does so to the point of suffering and to the point of death. And the historical moment that we mark in Christendom is his death on the cross, Jesus. But he was acting as he's always been. He didn't have to work up to it. He was just demonstrating his own love, the love he's always had. And he said, I want to share this love with you so that you can also be self-giving, self-everything that I am. And what I realize is I'm not like him because I'm self-preserving. I, I, my flesh works to preserve my life, my reputation, my everything. And the only way out is not to say, Lord, take that away from me. It's to die to it. There's a movie that came out a long, long time ago called The Matrix. Some of you remember. Neo, the, the Matrix wasn't destroyed. It's that Neo died to the Matrix. You die to the law of sin and death, and then you live in Christ. And the, the, the life of the Spirit empowers you to side with him when you get up in your day and to set your mind on him so that though this thing is still over there, I'm dead to it. Amen. But I have to live in closeness and devotion to him because I'm always pulled that way. Does that make sense? Back to Simon Peter. This is the beauty. At the moment that Jesus is permitting the devil to have access to Simon, he at the same moment is privileging Simon to share his life. Permitting the devil, privileging Simon. So all these things in our life is God privileging us. It's a privilege. I'll say it for you. Amen. <laughs> Never saw it that way. What hardship are you going through? He's allowing us to share in his trials. There's no trial you've gone through. Women giving birth, pain, pain to give birth. What, I mean, come on, really? I, I was with my wife. Each time, and you're just like, oh, I wish I could help you. The pain of giving birth. Is that perhaps 
sharing in his trials that Jesus had to suffer and go through pain on the cross to give birth to us? I don't know. Something to think about. All the women are looking at me like, oh, you're not a woman. You don't know what you're talking about. Permitting, privileging. Permitting, privileging. Lord, renew my mind. These things, those things, you're actually privileging me to share in your trials. Suffering, which is a biblical thing, not a demonic thing, is God privileging us to share in his trials. Okay, Simon, what happens? I won't even read all the scriptures to you, but you can find them. Remember that moment where Simon says, I'm with you. And Jesus says, this very night you're going to uh, disown me. In fact, you'll do it three times. Not me. Not me. Even if I have to die with you. Now, I want you to see the phases in his life so that there's hope for us and growth. Simon Peter's the guy who, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He has a revelation. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Great revelation. Everyone has had that revelation to know Christ. And then Jesus proceeds to tell him, all right, now let me unfold the mission to you. I'm going to be given over, mistreated, beaten, tortured. Um, I'm going to be crucified. And, and then I'm going to be raised on the third day. And Simon goes, this will never happen to you. I'm following you because if that happens to you, that has to happen to me. So it ain't happening to you. <laughs> and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because Satan is the self-preserving one. So in the same moment he has a revelation, he still has to deal with that self-preserving thing that's still working inside of him. But then phase two, he's matured some. I'll die with you. He went from ain't nobody dying. Not you, not me. Nobody's dying up in this camp. To, I will die with you. Now, that was coming out of a good place, his soul, but your soul doesn't have the capacity to satisfy the purpose of God. Only the spirit can bring you to the point of death. So in his soul, he was committing, I'm with you, Lord. I have left everything. I gave up my fishing business. I've been going with you now for three years. I'm your man. Got a sword, I'm ready. We're going to the death over this because you are the Messiah. Rome is coming down. You're the son of David. You're going to take your rightful place on the throne. Ah, uh, Simon, you're still looking at this thing through a box, a matrix. I, I'm the savior of the world, not just the Jews. This is not just about Rome. This is about every, eh, eh. you'll get it, you'll get it, you'll get it later. That night in the garden, he's swift with it. He takes out the sword. And, and, and I think he was offended in Christ because when they come walking up and, they, and Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. It says when he spoke those words, they were knocked backwards to the ground. I heard one man say he had to resist the, the, the he had to manage his power so as not to destroy them when he said, I am he. Because remember, he got strengthened while praying in the garden. 
He was weary, soul overwhelmed, and he's modeling for us when you're at your weakest and when your soul is messed up or, or can't, when your soul is grieved to the point of death, you're overwhelmed, you can't manage it. The soul is not an operating system that can get you where you need to be. So you have to cry to the Father who then the Spirit fills you, comes in you, and then guides your soul to where you need to be. Because his first prayer was, Jesus' first prayer was, if it's possible, please take this from me. His second prayer was, if it's not possible. Why did he go from if it's possible to if it's not possible? Because I believe the Spirit of God was strengthening him all through that. There was a shift that occurred. Ah, you'll get it. So by the time they come, he is strengthened. His soul, he's strengthened by the Spirit. He can now go fulfill the purpose. And I think after they get back up, Jesus, Simon's probably taking out the sword, cutting off the guy's ear, and Jesus is doing this. And I think when Simon saw him surrender, it was counterintuitive. It was like, no, I said I would die with you, not, not that you would give up. <laughs> We're supposed to be fighting. This is where you put the, the, the this is where you go, poof. You, you've walked on water, you've raised the dead. This is the moment, Jesus. Do something. I am. I'm fulfilling the scriptures. No. See, Peter was ready to die, but he had a sword. He started fighting. He was a bad swordsman, good fisherman. A Roman soldier wouldn't have cut the ear off, cut the head off. But when you're a fisherman, you cast the line. So you, you, get, the, you get the ear. You get the ear. Dude's bleeding. Jesus picks the ear up. Simon, man, you just, you're pitiful. Puts the ear back on. Now, if I'm the guy who just got my ear pack on, I'm like, I ain't arrested nobody tonight. I'm hearing things a little different. He's not who they say he is. I think he's who he says he is. So y'all can arrest him. Come on, Joe. Nope, nope, nope. I'm putting my cuffs away. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. We're, we're his enemy, and he just healed me. I'm not dumb. I mean, I'm dumb, but not that dumb. Peter's mad as can be. Hurt them. Stop them. The Roman oppression all his whole life. This is where it goes down. And he's giving up. These things. Those things. I think it was a those things moment for Simon. And I think that's why he was able now to deny him. I don't even know him. Why would he give up? I don't know him. I don't know. I don't know. Then, of course, the death, the resurrection. And then there's a the moment where he says... He appears to them on the beach. They're fishing. You know the moment. He says, Peter, do you love me? Relational. Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Missional. You can't do the missional without the relational. If it doesn't flow from the mission, relational, it doesn't work. In fact, I heard one writer say it this way. One of the greatest competitions to knowing God is serving him. And... Three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Peter, yes, Lord. No, I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus is resurrected. The Holy Spirit's poured out. Now power comes on. So that, that was Peter returning to Christ. When you return to me, then you will what? Strengthen your brothers. I think at least one moment of strengthening the brothers is in Acts 2. Spirit of God comes on them. Wow. They're speaking in other languages. And people are hearing the goodness of God. And it's amazing. And all of a sudden, 
as he stands up and says, you men with the help, <laughs> uh, you, you, you put Christ to dead, but God raised him from the dead, and he is Lord and Christ, know for certain all this. And then they say, brothers, that's what they call Peter, no? Brothers, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit, which has been promised to you. And everybody was strengthened that day. But that day doesn't happen unless he goes through those things. Last point here. It said, well, we do know this in Scripture. There's a moment when Peter comes, he and John, and they're beaten. And when they get back, they tell their brothers, wow, can you believe it? My words. We were counted worthy to suffer. What a privilege. What a privilege. What? To the point where you're considered worthy to suffer. Those things. I'm not there yet. But I'm peering over in the wall and I'm saying, let me get to the point where I'm worthy to be considered able to suffer for you. Make me worthy to suffer for you and experience the joy of it. The joy of it. I got to suffer for you. Wow. Greatest joy of my life. Greatest joy of my life. I actually got to suffer. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Whatever trial you're in, ooh, you have an opportunity. How can a loving God? He's privileging us. What a privilege. What a privilege. Father, thank you this moment if you're here this morning and you're suffering in some way and you're like I said at the beginning these things and those things and you've been angry with God or disappointed or distant because of those things it's not about just trying to think differently it's only with the help of the Holy Spirit we can die to self to the law of sin and death, which is at the root of self-centeredness, the root of self-preserving, the root of everything that's not right in my humanity. And I need help from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me die to the law of sin and death and make me alive in you and empower me to live godly and embrace all things. If that applies to you, why don't you just stand as an act of your faith? You don't have to come forward, just stand up. Yeah. If you can, just stand.
would you just take 30 seconds and ask the Holy Spirit to help you? You're not going to be able to do this in human strength and effort. None of us can. Just invite the Holy Spirit to say, I need you to help me in this way so that I can view all things, all things from your perspective. Holy Spirit, you know all things. We're so inclined to question you, to ask how could a loving God permit the enemy to allow these things that are occurring in my life, my physical health, my emotional health, my mental health, my finances, my marriage, my kids. God, is it your will? And we get confused. And the enemy takes advantage of those moments to accuse you to us. So, Father, we repent for giving place to a lie against you and against ourselves. We hear the rest of your voice saying, when you return to me, you're going to strengthen others. And I pray that in this process of whatever trial every person standing finds himself, the Holy Spirit, you would come in them, you would fill them, and you would empower, empower them to live with joy in their pain, joy in their trial, knowing it's not just their trial, it's yours. And you've privileged them to share in it with you. Bless these people. Amen.